Okay? We are starting a new series entitled Knowing God. As part of our emphasis on growing deeper, it's important that we all begin to derive the knowledge of God. So I'm gonna invite you now to go with me to John chapter 17, verse three. And as our launch, it's our text to begin this morning. Welcome also for those of you who are watching us online. Join us as we go through this study. John chapter 17, verse three. Allow me to read this beautiful verse for you. Now, this is eternal life. Sometimes you wonder, what is eternal life? Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How many of you know eternal life has already begun for all of us, right? Those of us who come to know the Lord Jesus, eternal life has already begun. And in this life that we have received from the Lord, what is it for? It is so that we may know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have Sent. Let's bow, we have a word of prayer. Father, I ask this morning that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, and authority. May your word inspire us to go on this journey of wanting to know you. May we posture our heart in such a way that we will seek after you as we enter this new year. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. John chapter 17, verse three, I think is an incredible verse because it contains this huge theological implication that our God, in fact, is knowable, right? When the Lord says that your eternal life is so that you may know you, the, the only true God, what does it imply? It implies that our God is actually knowable. Now, every one of us knows about Warren Buffett, right? The world-famous financial investor, founder of Berkshire Hathaway, and, but not everybody knows him personally. Is that true? Now, it is even more so when it comes to God, the creator of the universe. The only way that we can know God is only because he wants to be known. The only way that you can know God is only because God chose to reveal Himself to us personally. You see, He's the initiator, not us. See, Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34. Listen to this. The Lord says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The knowledge of God is only possible because God make himself knowable to men. God made a covenant with men put his laws into our, write it into our hearts, put his spirit in us so that we may know him. But it is not rooted in the study of God academically, but in the covenant that God made with men relationally. I think it's important to understand that. Where does the knowledge of God even begin? It is because God made a covenant with men. See, in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, the Lord says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. What time is this referring to? 
I believe it is the time when God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we can now be reconciled back to God. Our sins can be forgiven and we can once again have a living relationship with, with, with God. Then and only then can we know the Lord. Now, how did God reveal Himself to us? Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. Listen to this. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to, call, to follow, to keep my laws. So today, by the grace of God, you and I have the Holy Spirit residing in us who illuminates the Word of God that we read, right? The, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to our hearts and then it brings the knowledge of God into our heart, our mind, our spirit. See, it's when we take time to meditate on the Word of God, contemplate on who God is, obey what God says, we will find the knowledge of God. And it's only possible because God made this covenant where we can be forgiven of our sin, be reconciled back to God, have the Holy Spirit in us, and now the Word is illuminated to our hearts and boom, we find the knowledge of God. On January 7, 1855, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, at that time he was only a 20-year-old young man. He made this profound statement in one of, his, uh, one of his sermons, and I thought it was such a profound statement about the knowledge of God that you got to read this for yourself. Listen to this. He said, Charles Spurgeon said, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of this great God whom he called his father. Wow. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the, the greatest thing that a human mind can engage in is the meditation on who God is. There is nothing more amazing for a Christian to do than to meditate on who God is. And that's the knowledge of God. And when we contemplate on the holy, when we contemplate on the divine, it humbles us. Why? Because we are so small compared to His greatness. When you actually meditate on who God is, it actually makes you feel really small because you discover how big our God is. But at the same time, it will also enlarge us. Why? Because His greatness expands our soul. When we meditate on how great He is, it makes us feel small. But at the same time, it makes us feel large because His greatness expands our soul. And the knowledge of the holy not only humbles us, not only expands us, but it also comforts us because we know His beauty. We now know His perfection and it reminds us that we are secure in His hands. Isn't that awesome? The knowledge of God. Now the question we all may ask is this, you know, as wonderful as it may be for us to know God, is it at all relevant to practical life? What practical use is there for the study of God or what we call theology? Now sometimes you get very frightened of this word theology, but actually the word theology is simply, theo means God, logy, study, it's just a study of God. Anybody who reads the Bible is a theologian. 
Hello. <laughs> it's true, you know. Anybody who just study the Bible, you are a theologian. Okay? And, and it's true. This, what, but what practical use is theology? Is there any practical use for theology? I think it is absolutely relevant to life. And let me illustrate it this way. How many of you agree it'd be very cruel to take a Chinaman who grew up all his life in a little rural village in China somewhere, and then you pick him up from his village, you fly him all the way to the United States of America, and then you throw him onto the heart of New York City, and then you tell him, go fend for yourself without any explanation. And then, you know, this, this guy will be totally lost, you know, without speaking the language, without understanding the culture of this strange land. How many of you agree? It's terrible, right? But it is the same with us, trying to live in this world without knowing the God who actually owns and runs this world. And this world can, can become a strange and dangerous place for those who do not know God. See, but when we know the creator of this world, we will know how to navigate this world. We will know how to live life. If we know who our creator is, what he's like, what does he want, we will know how to live this life that he actually gave to us. And that is the purpose of our series on knowing God. We want to know God so that we know how to live life. It's exactly like a car, you know. If you, want, if you bought a Toyota and you want to maximize the, the, the use of this car, you want to optimize the, all the benefits in the Toyota car, what's the key? The key is to, to know and follow the Toyota handbook. You got to, to know what the Toyota handbook tells you about this car. Then you can derive maximum benefit from it. And I want you to know the Holy Bible is the maker's handbook for all of us. And it tells us how to live life. And the more you know God, the more you learn how to enjoy life. If you really want to live life to the fullest, you must get to know the giver of life. But in what way do we want to know God? Tim Keller um, once talked about his brother-in-law who never wears a seatbelt in his car. He never wears a seatbelt. And Tim always scolded him for this because it's very dangerous, right? But one time, Tim's brother-in-law came to pick him up at the airport. And this time, when Tim opened the door, this guy was fully buckled up. And so Tim asked him, you know, so what happened? What changed you? And his brother-in-law replied, I went to visit a friend of mine in the hospital who was in a car accident and went through the windscreen because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He now had two or three hundred stitches on his face. And I said to myself, I better wear my seatbelt. And so Tim turned to him and asked him, but didn't you already know that before, that, that if you have an accident without a seatbelt, you'll go through the windscreen. Didn't you already know that before you had, your friend had the accident? And, and his brother-in-law replied, of course I know that. But when I went to the hospital to see my friend, I got no new information. But the information I had became new. <laughs> I like that. I had no new information, but the information I had became new. The information got, became real to my heart. And it finally sank in and it affected the way that I live. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of knowledge that we are seeking after as we go through this series. It's not academic in the head, but it is about 
information that is not new, but information that becomes new because now it sinks into our heart and it affects the way we live. So I don't want us to go through these next few weeks studying the attributes of God and then walk away saying, I now I know a bit more about God. No, it's about letting that information become so real to us, it sinks into our heart and it changes our life. That's what the purpose of this series is for. We need information that gets real to us and affects the way we live. And this is how we need to know God, experientially know Him. We don't need more information about God. We just need God Himself to become real to our hearts and affect the way we live. And we all say amen to that, isn't it? Oh, may God just reveal Himself in this way to us through this series on knowing God. We don't need more information about Him. We just need Him. How is this going to happen? I think God will reveal Himself to us as we actually spend time with Him. We study His Word and then we spend time with Him. When we meditate and we think thoughts after God, it affects us. We get to know God like we get to know any person. How do I get to know Arthur a little better? There's only one way. Arthur's got to buy me more lunches and then we can sit down and talk and interact and that's how I get to know him, that's how he gets to know me. Am I right, Arthur? Amen to that? Okay, good. Lunch on you on Monday. <laughs> but you get my point. We spend time, right, listening to God by reading his word and then we spend time talking to God in prayer. And then when we begin to hear, we, we, that's, what, that's what essentially knowing God is, is keeping company with Him. Keeping company with God until He becomes a friend and we become a friend to God. The relationship begins to build. And I think this is the key to knowing God. Now, I, I outline this thing so that we all get our hearts postured correctly as we enter this series. But this morning, what I'd like to do now is to set a foundation for the rest of our study over the next few weeks by taking you to a passage in Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm gonna invite you now to go with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm gonna read for you the first 17 verses and then I want to show you three things, fundamental things about the knowledge of God, okay? Three fundamental things as we seek to know Him. So here's Jeremiah 18. I read for you from verses one to 17. Follow along with me as I read this for you. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seems best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me and he said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. But if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. 
Now therefore, say to the people of Israel, uh, of Judah, and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your, wicked, your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they replied, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans and we will all follow the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. And therefore, this is what the Lord says. Inquire amongst the nations. Who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Now, this rhetorical question. Do its cold waters from distant sources ever stop flowing? Of course, the answer is no. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols which make them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. They make them walk in byways on roads not built up. Their land will be an object of horror and of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. Like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before their enemies and I will show them my back and not my face. What a terrible phrase, right? I will show them by my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we come to that famous story of the potter and the clay. And I want to open up your eyes to see some three very fundamental things about the knowledge, about knowing God. Okay, in Jeremiah 18, God wanted to reveal himself to his people Israel. So he summoned the prophet Jeremiah to the potter's house. And in that incident, there are three fundamental principles on knowing God, and here they are. Number one is this, the good news is, the knowledge of God does not require a smart mind. Okay, here's the good news. Okay, you can, you, you can be illiterate, you can still know God. The knowledge of God does not require a clever mind. Jeremiah 18.1 says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. The knowledge of God does not require one to be smart or clever. It is rooted not in our abilities to analyze, to study, to observe, but it is rooted first and foremost in God's revelation of himself. We can only know God because God chose to make himself known. Jeremiah was asked to go to the potter's house, okay? And he need not try and figure out who God is and what God wants, but rather, God will reveal the message to him. Isn't that right? Jeremiah 18.1 says what? Go down to the potter's house, the Lord says, and there I will give you my message. So brothers and sisters, we don't need to have a university degree to know God. Hallelujah. I don't have one, so praise the Lord. <laughs> we don't need hearts. All we need really is hearts that hunger and thirst to know the Lord. The only reason why we can even know God is because God chose to make himself known. How did God reveal himself? And if I can give you general principles here is this. Generally speaking, right, God reveals himself through creation, nature. See, God reveals himself generally through creation, through nature. Psalms 19 verse one tell us this. The heavens declares the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
You see, the, the mountains remind us of God's majesty. The expanse of the ocean reminds us of His unending love. You know, his, his, the, the rainbow speaks to us of His everlasting covenant with men. The, the, the stars talk to us of His greatness. The beauty of the flowers speaks to me of the generosity of God. You see, there are so many things in nature that, re, that reminds us there is a creator God somewhere. How many of you understand that? The heavens declare His glory. See, and we can actually know that there is a creator God through general revelation through nature, through creation. However, God reveals Himself specifically to us is through His Word. Now, here's the thing. Through nature, I know that there is a God somewhere who created all these things. But who is this God? I will only know specifically who this God is by going to the Scriptures. And there I found out that there is Jesus who is the face of God. And when we meditate on the Word, the Holy Spirit now illuminates the truth to our hearts. And as we obey the Word, we begin to know God experientially. So the Bible actually becomes the living Word to those who comes to the Bible, not just to find out how to do better in life, not just to find out how to have a better marriage, how to have a do better parenting, or how to get prosperous, how to get rich, etc., etc. Now, I know the Bible talks about these things. There's so much wisdom in the Bible that addresses these things of life. There's nothing wrong with that, but we need to understand we come to the Bible not so much to know how to do life better, but first and foremost, to find out who God is. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's not just to help us get a better life. It's to help us to know who God is and then we obey what God says. John 7, verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will then find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. See, what it takes is not a smart or a clever mind, but what it takes is a seeking and an obedient heart. How many of you want to know God? You want to know God? And this is what it takes. It's not a smart mind. What it takes is a seeking and obedient heart. I remember growing up, I used to sing, uh, one of the first songs I learned to sing in church, a song that goes like this. I want to know you, Lord. Much more than I do, I want to know you, Lord. Much more than I do. Learn to seek your face and the glory of your grace. I want to know you. That's a beautiful song. I grew up singing that and say, God, give me a heart that wants to know you. You don't need a clever mind. What you need is a seeking heart, number one. Okay, here's number two. The second thing that Jeremiah 18 taught me is this, that the knowledge of God can be hindered by a stubborn will. It is hindered by a stubborn will. What is the main lesson in the story of the potter and the clay? Most people would point out that it is about the potter who is sovereign and has absolute right over the clay to make it into whatever he wants the clay to be. And I think that's true. And the reason is because Jeremiah 18, verse 6 says this, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. Now, how many of you also know that when the, the Lord asks, you know, 
can I do with you, Israel, as this potter does? It's a rhetorical question. Their answer is, of course. The Lord can do with Israel what the potter does with the clay in his hands. So the question now is this, what did the potter do with the clay in his hands? You need to read the next two verses. It goes on to say this in verse three and four. So I went down to the potter's house. I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. In other words, the, the clay ran and then the, the, the pot couldn't, couldn't be, be shaped. Okay, and so what did the potter do? The potter then formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seems best to him. So what happened was, when Jeremiah got to the potter's house, the potter was working at the wheel. Okay, and the potter actually wanted to make a particular design with this lump of clay, but the clay he was shaping actually went wrong. So what did the potter have to do? Change the design to what seems best to him in order to suit the texture of the clay. Are you with me? That's what, that was what's going on. And the result was what? The result was that the vessel was different from the original design. It is still usable, it's still a pot, but maybe it was meant to be a pot of this size, but it has gone to a pot of a different shape. Are you with me? It wasn't the original intended design. Why? The reason was because the clay did not yield to the potter's hand. That's what the problem is. It's not the potter, it is the clay's problem. <laughs> the clay was not willing to be shaped the way the potter wanted it. And then with that as an object lesson, the Lord then asked in verse six of Jeremiah 18, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? In other words, can I not change the design because the clay ran? Can I, don't I have the right to do that? And what's the answer? Of course, he has every right to reshape us. And then God went on to create a scenario in verse seven to verse 10. He then go on to say, if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, it's meant to be torn down and destroyed, and if that kingdom I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent, not inflict on it the disaster I have planned. But if another, another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up, to be planted, and it does evil in my sight, can, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. How many of you know God can do that now? He intends to bless you, but because we do our own thing, he can remove that blessing. Does he have the right to do that? Absolutely. God intended to, for, for bad to come, but because the people repented, he removed that punishment. Does he have a right to do that? Absolutely. And the thing is this, the day when God started a relationship with man, he has chosen to give man the free will to actually choose and to respond to him. It's a little bit like marriage, right? The day when you got married to your spouse, do you realize you have chosen to limit your own freedom? Okay, that did not sink in. Let me say it one more time. <laughs> the day when I decided to get married to Cecilia, I have limited my own freedom. Why? Because from that day on, I can no longer be absolutely free to do what I want all the time. I have to take into consideration my partner's desires and decision. Am I right? Yes. 
See, and in other words, I don't have absolute freedom, but I have limited freedom. And in that freedom, I choose to love her. I choose to take into consideration her desires and her thoughts and her thinking. It's the same with the potter and the clay. If the clay does not yield to the potter, the potter have a right to change the design. See, the only difference between me and Cecilia where this analogy breaks down is that with God, he still have the final say. <laughs> you see where the, where the thing breaks down, right? <laughs> with God, he has the final say. With us, still have to negotiate. <laughs> I, I don't have the final say. I still have to work things out. The only difference between this analogy of marriage and God and us is that God ultimately has the final say to what the new design will look like. So what is God revealing to the prophet in Jeremiah 18? God is telling Israel and to us that I wanted to make you into a vessel of honor you were meant to become carriers of my glory. You were meant to shine forth my grace and display my power to the nations, but you refused to yield to me. Instead, the people responded in, in verse 12, it is no use, we will continue with our own plans. We will follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts and therefore the Lord declared, I have to change my design. From a vessel of honor, you now become a vessel of common use. And I wonder, you know, how many believers actually have shipwrecked our own calling and destiny? Why? Because we chose the things of this world rather than the treasures of the kingdom. We chose to do our own thing rather than to obey God. We chose to carry our own stubborn will rather than to surrender to the will of God. Are you with me? And so instead of becoming a vessel of honor, we become a vessel of common use. And it is possible. See, there are believers that, that because of the stubborn will, it, it literally hindered our knowledge of God. The lack of, of, of surrender choked our ability to experience all that God has for us. And there are believers who, have not yet, who are not yet who God would have designed them to be and to do because we have chosen to continue in our own plans and we have followed, we wanted to follow the stubbornness of our own heart. And a stubborn will can literally hinder the knowledge of God. But if we are willing to surrender more and more to God, I think we will grow in the knowledge of God. You know, I started out in life just like many of us, right? We started out with this, you know, God, I do what I want. Give me what I want. I'll do what I want. That's all, that's all we start in stubbornness. And then as we grow in the Lord, we begin to say, God, you know, if you give me what I want, then I will do what you want. Now we bargain with God. And then we grow, some more we will say, God, I will give you what you want so that you give me what I want. Now, now we, we bargain with God. But we must reach this place where we literally say, God, I give you what you want in total surrender because I know you are sovereign, you are good and you will bring your will to pass in my life. I trust you completely. You see, we start out stubborn. Then in the next two stages, we struggle, we strive with God, but we come to a place of surrender. And as we get to know God, 
my prayer is that we come to this place of total surrender. Are you with me? Yeah, that's what we are heading for. Surrender then reveals the condition of our hearts and it restores the tranquility of our soul and we become rested in God. So we don't need a smart mind. We don't want to have a stubborn will, but I'll leave you one last thing. It must lead to a surrendered heart. It must lead to a surrendered heart. There's a saying that goes like this. Theology must lead to doxology. Theology is the study of God. Doxology is the worship of God. In other words, the knowledge of God must lead to the worship of God. We want to know God, not just for academic knowledge, but to grasp you know, God's revelation of Himself. And as a result, we worship Him more truly for who He is. As we go through this series on knowing God, our goal is to allow the Word of God to inform us of God's revelation of Himself. And then we pray the Holy Spirit will illuminate this revelation to our hearts so that we can fall in love with who our God is. And then we worship Him with deeper faith. See, and we worship Him more truly for who He is. Now, when, we, when I talk about having that faith to worship God, I'm not talking about the God you can, superficial kind of faith. You know, we like to say, oh, God can do this, God can do that. Yeah, of course, we know that God can. He is God. He can do anything. So that's just stating the obvious. God can, but does that mean that He will? Does that mean that He wants to do that? So I'm not talking just about a God you can, superficial kind of faith. I'm also not talking about God you will, the kind of presumptuous kind of faith. It's not just about making declarations, making proclamations without any biblical basis. You see, we can end up declaring promises that God never made, which can become presumptuous. We cannot hold God ransom for what He did not promise. So I'm not talking about the superficial God you can, presumptuous God you will, or even demanding God you must kind of faith. Some, some people just, God, you must, you must this, you must that. This is when we start to make ourselves the master and God becomes our servant to carry out what we want. Then our faith becomes man-centered rather than God-centered. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about a faith that is, is the God you are, biblical kind of faith. It is, a, it is a faith that is based on God's revelation of Himself in His Word. It's a faith that is birthed in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit, rooted in our knowledge of who God is. Because we know who God is, now our faith is placed in what God says He is. Are you with me? Yes. When you begin to know God as a God who heals, then you can say, God, I lay claim to you, healing. I pray for people to be healed. If I know God as Jehovah Rapha, my provider, um, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, then I can say, God, I pray you will provide for me. See, your faith is now rooted in who God is. So even when things don't go my way, I know that I know God is still who God is and I will still worship Him. This is the knowledge of God that led to surrendered hearts. And may God help us to do this. Amen. The good news I have for you is it did not just end there, but Jeremiah 18, 11 says, Now therefore say to the people of Judah, 
that those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you, devising a plan against you. Reason is because the people of God has disobeyed Him and God is about to send a foreign enemy to take them into captivity. But the Lord still says, turn from your wicked ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your action. And what the Lord is saying is this, I wanted you to be vessels full of grace and honour, but you rejected me. Now I have to shape you into vessels of, of wrath. But if you are willing to repent, if you are willing to return to me, I can change my plans again. It's not too late. It's never too late. And this is the good news. We serve a God of the second chance. He's a God who never gives up on us. We may be marred by our sins, our stubbornness, but our divine porter wants to redeem and reshape us. And this morning, you can have a fresh start in Christ. But the people of God, unfortunately, at that time, choose to carry on in their stubbornness of their heart. But the truth is this, today, we need not do that. We can turn back to God. And this God of the second chance is here to forgive and to reshape us. Amen. And why don't we do that today? If not, you know, when the day of trouble comes, God says, I will show them my back and not my face. That's a scary thought. You know, that when it is, when, when it is still a time where we can repent and turn back to God, turn back to Him and say, God, position my heart, posture my heart to know you so that we will not experience this. You know, imagine when the children of Israel cry out to God, they refuse to repent, but when the day of disaster come, instead of God turning towards them, God turned His back to them. That is a scary thought. And may the Lord speak to us today. In 2022, we want to posture our hearts and our spirit to know God. We want to yield to our potter, allow Him to shape us into vessels of honourable use. Our divine potter has a design for us and we choose to surrender to His design. The potter has a final say, but the clay must choose to yield to the potter's hand. Why? Because we know our God is sovereign, our God is good, and He will bring His will to pass in our life if we surrender to Him. Let's bow, we have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you take your word and you make it real to us this morning. I pray that Holy Spirit, you come and you speak to us where we have been turning our back to you or not walking with you, we invite you, come and speak to us today. Call us back. Posture our hearts to know you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are this great God of the second chance and you are always there calling out and wooing us back to yourself. So come and do that for each one of us this morning. Lord, we want to know you because we know you are a good God, a sovereign God and we want to know you more in 2022. So we position our hearts to know you. Thank you that we don't need a clever mind we don't need a smart mind, but what we need is a heart that seeks after you. So would you change our heart? Give us a heart that desires after you. 
Lord, we put aside our stubborn will so that your will can be done in our life. So come and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me and this morning? Why don't we just worship the Lord together and then in a few moments, I want to invite you to just respond to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to deal with us. So let's worship Him today.